Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and very excited for today's episode. Today's guest is the Director of Learning and Quality Coaching for Quantum Health. Please welcome to the show, Maria Fay. Hello, Maria. Hi, how are you? I am very well and very excited to extend the conversation that we started a little while back. Tell us what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. So I have to narrow it down. Okay. So, you know, it's interesting because I think from my vantage point, you know, spending a lot of time in what I call the customer support type of arenas and, and customer centers, I think there's so much different definition to what a work work or deskless workforce would be, right? So some think sales automatically, you know, what I think when I think of it is hybrid workforce or people that are trying to balance all these things and, and, you know, what has occurred in the last couple of years and how that's changed things. So, you know, from my perspective, thinking about the learner and educating people to be ready to do a job, whatever that job is, I think it's so tough to sort of be the learning people on the fly, right? Because you've got to be able to do things in a face-to-face format or virtually, because everyone thinks training is two slides and a clicker, and here we go, and we just throw it up on Teams, and we're ready to go, and we clearly know that's not the answer, because how is your learner going to be prepared to do whatever that job is? So, you know, the operational side of learning and those um, deskless or hybrid or whatever we call them, it is a challenge to think, what do they need in the moment? What are they going to need to continue to be successful? And how do we serve up you know, what people need so that they can feel comfortable and confident. Because that's really, I feel, the biggest responsibility for the educational teams, whatever they look like. You know, how do we get people prepared and confident so they know at least, I might not have the answer, but where is it? You know, that's so critical. You know, team member confidence is something that has come up more in the last six months than I remember ever hearing about it before. I'm sure it's something that companies have always kept in their mind, but it seems like it's really coming out to the surface. And I don't know if that's the result of some studies that are happening by talent development organizations and and groups inside, um, you know, large companies, but there is a a huge element of confidence. So we've often talked about competence, their knowledge and their ability to, to perform a certain task, but this confidence topic seems to be coming up more often. Why do you think that is? You know, from my perspective, I think it's, I think if I go back and, you know, I've been in the industry, you know, more than a couple of years. So I think early on, it was always about help people to memorize. They've got to memorize the job and here's the things and you shovel all this stuff in, you know, I think we have realized throughout the evolution of um, how people operate, how they learn and sort of how we educate. The difference now is if, if we can help people to feel comfortable that they'll find stuff. 
then they can feel more comfortable with whatever that role is, you know, with a customer, a member, whatever is defined as the person that they're helping. So I think that that has evolved. Um, I know there are studies, I have looked at them as well, but I think we've always had this feeling, but I think that the, the change of perspective is more around, we don't need people to memorize, we need them to feel comfortable that they'll find it. And that is why, I think in our industry, you see a lot more around knowledge management. Um, I used to work with someone that would say, um, the more templates you build, the less thinking there is, which I totally agree with. So I would prefer that we have areas that people can find and feel comfortable doing that themselves to still think through, you know, sort of the root cause of the problem and get to the answer. But I want to, I, I need them to feel confident, not worried. That's why people are running around and, you know, looking for answers all the time, serve it up so that the confidence is there. That will help whoever they are helping as well. They're going to feel comfortable. Did I feel like I got my answer? Did I talk to the right person? Those are all, you know, indicators of that. I love it. I think those are, I, I want to keep diving into these things, but I, before we do that, I want to give the audience an opportunity to understand who they're hearing from today. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the role you're in today. I think I fell into it. I always say that I, um, you know, many years ago, I studied communication as undergraduate work and, you know, was determined that I was going to do, you know, PR or something, and then sort of fell into news, weather and sports for a while on the radio, like a hundred years ago. But I went to work for an organization um, that became Cytel long-term. And they were, they came out of the idea of, why don't we help companies as they start to do, you know, database upgrades or whatever, so that we can do all the services they need. And so I was one of the first that got involved in this organization in Buffalo, New York, and, and worked with them for years and, and, you know, ended up really focused on outside of the operations, because I've ran some of the sites for them. I've, I've done performance or what we would call that piece. I think I always go back and forth between, well, let me, let me own the operation. And then, hey, you know, I really have a passion for the education, but also our ability to serve and our ability to provide, I guess what I would call either encouragement, coaching, or sort of the empathetic answer. And, you know, I, I end up falling into that other side of it, which is the support side, you know, whether it's learning, quality, coaching, um, anything performance related. And so I spent a lot of years in the, what we would call BPO area. So the outsourcing sector, um, opened a couple sites from a consulting perspective. Then I got into healthcare. So I spent some time, I lived in Vegas. I uh, ran the donor recruitment for United Blood Services really built out their education and sort of operation and then um, worked for Cardinal Health for a while. So I moved with them a few times and began to own anything that was the customer experience within that organization and on came learning. So it's back and forth. And I think I sort of land here because I have a passion for what operational learning is. It is a different animal. It is different than sort of what I would call leadership, which I am also passionate about, but that operational learning to build the confidence for people to do whatever the job is, is where I continue to land. So clearly this is where I'm going to be. Um, and it's, it's really because I feel there are ways to do it and ways to help 
support the organization as a seat at the table to problem solve and not just grab the clicker and figure out how to train someone. You know, and I think that's how I've landed here. <laughs> I, I love the statement you said earlier, two slides and a clicker. I feel like that's an expression that you use often. Mm -hmm. I do. So does my team. Yes. <laughs> I, I love it. And uh and you're not saying it in a positive tone either. You're you're kind of saying it like this is an example of what not to do. Yeah, I've been in meetings like recently I was in a strategy session and I think what gets lost sometimes, even from an operational learning side is, you know, people say the word training. So whether you're building a project plan for an implementation, which I'm, I'm going to guess we're going to talk a little bit about, mm -hmm. or it's just some type of rollout. There's, you know, we're going to build this whole fancy pants plan. And then here's the two lines that say training. And it's like, well, what is that? Is it delivery of training? Is there content? Is there an impact? You know, all those things that get missed. And what I love is coming into organizations and being the one that asks the question and says, well, so what are we solving for? So that seems like a coaching. If it's a learning and operationally we're looking at this, there's more work than I always say the two slides in the clicker. Like that's not the answer. The answer is what are we trying to solve for? And then asking the questions is a partner. So I am an adamant proponent of our role in, in the education or learning piece is to partner with our operational partners to solve the problems, you know, not just throw slides together. <laughs> That's the difference. I, I'm not going to ask you for any proper names of your, uh, your <laughs> colleagues or stakeholders here, but do you ever get any eye rolling when you, <laughs> when you introduce this idea? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to explore that. What, why do you think that is? Because what you're saying sounds incredibly intelligent and practical, <laughs> pragmatic, well, you know, um, why do you think it is that maybe some of your stakeholders might kind of roll their eyes and just say, oh, come on, Maria, we just don't have time for all that? Well, I think that, again, this is an evolution, right, of, of this whole educational piece. So I've been on the operational side, and it is at times, especially when, you know, pants are on fire or whatever the answer is, um, there need, there's a need and you feel like this is going to fit the need. So it's, in, you know, grab something and, and here's our answer. And I think that that's what happens in the environments that occur this, you know, in this type of setting. So there's a lot happening, something happens, something breaks, you know, there's, there's things happening. We have people that we need to service. Um, so it becomes a crazy. And so strategy is different in these types of settings, but I do believe that if you build the trust with the stakeholders and help them to see the benefits of what really works when you're getting to the, the solve and the root of the problem versus patching up the holes, as I say, so you've got fingers in places, right? But it's still not the answer. So if we can determine the impact, we partner because there's a problem to solve. And, you know, what I love about where I am now is I am a partner at that table helping to solve those problems strategically. Um, and I, I feel like it has helped people to see that is the benefit of having a learning sort of partner at the table because you're having these discussions, you know, hey, that doesn't seem like, you know, a blanket, whatever, isn't going to be the answer. The answer is let's figure out what we're trying to solve for and and get there and then take the time to do it in in a rollout, in an implementation, in whatever it is. So important. Do you think there's 
um, value in creating more of a business case around some of the things that you just described? Do you think maybe some of your stakeholders would respond better or respond at all <laughs> to, um, you know, kind of putting some math to that? And, and what I mean is, I had another guest recently who who talked about how the L&D team was able to show a $40,000 savings mm-hmm. of the downstream implications of, of what they were doing. And I thought that was such a great example that sometimes it seems like it may be left out of some of the L&D conversations with other business stakeholders that this isn't incremental. We're not just saying, hey, let's spend more money and time because it feels good. It may feel good also but that's not necessarily the reason. Is there a downstream implication of this that's positive that would yield net results? So yes, we're going to invest a little bit of your team member's time in this exercise, whatever that is, coaching or a learning experience or whatever it may be, but it's going to save 15 minutes a day forever. And Mm -hmm. here's the the value of that in the long run. Does that come up in any of your conversations internally? It comes up quite a bit in our conversations. I think that as an organization, we have really moved the needle around KPI metrics, things like that. And I think what typically happens, and it depends on the organization that you're in, but in my experience, you know, you, you are providing these great things and people see how great it is, you know, operationally or enterprise-wide or whatever the answer is. But a lot of times it's not connected to an end result of activity. And so even in limited ways, we have started to connect the dots of, hey, you know, we recertify, this is how I always describe, we recertify skills with our quality coaching, for example. And when you're doing that, you're assessing and ensuring that whatever was trained as key components, right, are happening. And if not, they're being coached. And so in my mind, those are measurements that then you can start to see impacts around longer term learning or, you know, exercises, whatever that is. And so we have Um, started to do that. I have worked in other organizations where, you know, we started to dive into the data. And it's weird because I think a lot of learning people in general, it's like, I was having this conversation this morning with some of my team. So there's, you know, the, the left brain, right brain. And I found out there's a couple of people in the team that can write with both hands, which I thought like, just blew my mind, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's why, like, I am not a creative. Anyone that knows me knows that. I am definitely a partner, a relationship builder, an influencer, but I'll tell you what, if you give me the data, I will get everyone there, right? So I'm kind of there where I have people that are now that I've learned that can write with both hands, their data and their creative, right? And so I think that typically when people are creating content or they're you know doing all this cool stuff, they may not have that other part of the brain or whatever the answer is, right, that connects it. Um, and so in this space, I think it's sort of not everyone thinks that way, but it is definitely, again, the evolution of learning and educating and thinking about corporate training and, you know, operational learning. You have to connect the dots somehow because you've got to understand the value that's provided, the return on the investment, like you said earlier, and just what are we doing? You know, like, how are we spending our time? We're not just I'm sure anyone that is going to listen to this has had, if they're in the learning space, someone has said, well, what do your trainers do when they're not in the classroom? 
Oh, I don't know. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of background stuff going on. And who do you think creates content? Or what do you think the designers are doing? So there's a, a lot of the process that to me still feels like a mystery. And I'm always on the other side explaining it all. Like, this is what's happening, guys. It's not just you have a problem, everyone screams, and then somebody creates slides. That's not how it works. And it's it's about the problem and how you can measure a result and think about the outcome before you start building something you know that really connects it so well and you're reminding me of an experience that i had recently we um for my day job we were a a sponsor a vendor at devlearn out in vegas uh i don't know a couple months ago now and we had a lot of people come by our booth and we were talking about the innovation that my company's bringing to you know a large enterprise for systems training and things like that and i would often ask the people that were coming up like what they would express interest. This, this is bizarre to me. They would express interest in what we're doing, which is awesome. Obviously flattering. It feels good because we're there to talk about our wares. Right. Yeah. And I would say like, well, what happens if you don't solve this problem? You would not believe, maybe you would believe (laughs) the the blank stares that I got from that question. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm like a really positive guy and I am definitely a a half full type of thinker in most cases, but I like to kind of flip it around a little bit to challenge in a conversation scenario to say like, okay, so that's a problem, but so what, who cares? Like who cares? Why do they care? What's the impact to the business? And the, the blank stares that I got back from that question uh, actually told me that maybe DevLearn isn't the right place for us, number one, which I thought was an interesting That is interesting. Yeah, yeah, because if we, you know, and this is true of any technology company. I mean, I happen to represent one of many, yeah. but this isn't just about building neat content, right? It's right. like, what is the actual business impact of either this working, of course, is what we normally want to focus our conversation on. But the best way to get to that answer is to find out if we don't solve this problem, what's the impact of the business? Because unless we can put our finger on that, then I think some of the other stakeholders throughout the organization just say, well, this sounds neat and warm and fuzzy. But at the end of the day, I can't pay for warm and fuzzy. So welcome to the discussion of gamification. It's yeah. this discussion, right? So um, some <laughs> feel, oh, yeah, you know, we we know and studies show that there is an increased retention with gamification, which is why, you know, when I look at some of the programs that we have, I think it's a critical piece, especially in an operational learning, right? But you have the two sides. Some are like, oh, that's, you know, that's great. And and we see the data says that. Others are like, well, this is stupid, you know? And so why are you doing that? What do you need the game for? Because somebody's going to remember that, you know, everyone learns differently. Like I'm the dope that still has to write stuff down on a calendar on paper. You know, I get it. That's just me. I'm not probably going to get any other way. You know, everybody learns differently. So it's honestly, it's the same debate of what you just said, you know, getting people to see. So you've got to pull the data and say, you know, look what this is showing. So you may think it's weird, but we want people to have the confidence, right? Learning the job. So you might have to just say it's weird. You know, you're reminding me of, uh, of a question I wanted to ask you before, yeah. and these things are all going to kind of merge together a little bit. Um, you, you talked about making sure that the information that those folks is available, that, that they need is available to them and knowing where to find it. And when you were describing that, you were making me think of things like Google and mm-hmm. YouTube. 
as consumers in the modern era, we know how to go find information. Some of the big name, you know, brands that we would know of as tech innovators have really based their innovation on making information accessible to us. Yeah. So as consumers outside of work, mm -hmm. when we have a question, one of the first, I mean, the two most popular search engines are Google and YouTube also owned by Google, right? Mm -hmm. So we tend to go look at one of those sources. I know I've noticed a change in my behavior over the last couple of years. My first place tends to be YouTube now because I enjoy watching a, a two minute video from somebody helping to explain this thing that I'm curious about. Oh. So that's my first place. Yeah. I can't find what I want there. I go somewhere else. But it just, it brings me around to this whole kind of consumerization of technology in the enterprise. And those are the expectations that we all have when we come to work. And so yeah. then when we have a question about work and we, whether somebody says it out loud or not, we're thinking, hey, how come nobody's made a YouTube video for this, right? <laughs> and so the next thing that you just reminded me of as I was, you know, listening to you talk about the gamification piece is that that's a big part of everything that we do outside of this, right? Yeah. We're tracking like a lot of the experiences that we have in the consumer world also are including elements of gamification mm -hmm. to keep us engaged in those platforms, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're not doing it because it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. They're doing it because it keeps us engaged with those platforms. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that psychology and how we can improve those learning experiences for our, our, you know, team members, we, we need to be thinking of it in that terms. It's not about how many coins you can collect. That may be what the game is doing, but what the real business benefit is, is that we're keeping those folks engaged in a way that they otherwise may not. Absolutely. That means we get the return on investment in the content that, that we've developed that's in that system. That means that we get the business outcome that we're trying to do, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I love the way you're thinking about that, that we have to be able to connect these dots yeah. to show what the business impact is ultimately going to be. Well, the other thing is, you know, people drop the the words, right? So, you know, oh, I, I we need an e-learning because that's like the buzzword. Or yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's probably not what you need. You need a little bit of this and maybe a, a burst of learning, you know, or it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, hey, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I, I know what I'm talking about when really you'll never get away in my mind. And I guess I shouldn't say never, but in my stubborn brain away from let's ask the key questions. What are we trying to solve for and do yeah. a basic needs analysis? I don't care who it is. I don't care what they want. You know, that's what you got to do. And I think that incorporating that, you know, when we think about implementations or projects or things that I know, you know, you and I have talked about, it's so critical, even for people like project managers who own projects within organizations to have those key few questions so that it's wrapped into the process versus waiting for someone else to ask it, you know, yeah. it's so critical. I love your point about just some of the buzzwords. I, I have a very fortunate role in that I get to visit with people from a lot of different companies. And so you, when you enter in and start getting to know team members from a large company, you can often hear the buzzwords that are important inside that organization. But what's funny sometimes is, and I apologize if I'm insulting anybody indirectly by saying this, if anybody listens, but it, it's funny as an outsider listening to the buzzwords that come up in some of these meetings, Sure. because I wonder sometimes, is everybody even, are they even on the same page about what the heck this buzzword means and nope. what, what it's for? <laughs> you know? I have gone to the, the lengths of defining or saying, so, you know, in my world or wherever I am at the moment, like in this organization, whatever, 
this is what I mean when I say this. So the more time you spend with me, you know, this is what it means because people pick up stuff. It's just like you said, you know, if I'm going to cough, the first thing I'm going to do is look it up on Google. Right. So it's the same thing. Right. Yeah. You actually bring up a good point though. And I should be fair to this and, you know, kind of balance my cynicism or criticism (laughs) of, you know, buzzwords, because there is a part there, there is value in a large organization of trying to get cultural alignment across Mm -hmm. hundreds or thousands of people about what we're trying to accomplish and some of the tools and techniques that we want to use as teams in -hmm. order to do that. So the idea of buzzwords or coming up with a common language to describe things is not inherently bad. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and I'm not uh, backpedaling here, but, (laughs) (laughs) but what I do think is bad is in the absence of what you just described, which is explaining what those what that language really means, mm-hmm. is people just start throwing around these buzzwords, buzzwords as if they understand or as if they are using them appropriately. And oftentimes I think they're not. And that's when I think it actually has a detrimental effect because mm-hmm. people just start throwing out words without really understanding the real substance. And um, that's where I think we get a little bit misaligned. So I didn't mean okay. to create a total tangent oh. from that, but I think it's interesting. And, and you gave a great best practice but mm-hmm. in that, which is to say, let's just repeat the definition. Yeah. Maybe not as often as the buzzword, but we have to continue to remind ourselves and be aligned about what we mean by that thing. I think for me, the reason that happens is because I'm sure everyone can relate to this statement, which is you've you've gone from one organization to some other organization at some point in yeah. your career, and everyone's talking some language, and you're like, what is that? And then it's, oh, we have a big book of, you know, all this stuff, and you're like, what is that, you know? And so when you come in, you are trying to figure out what language that might be and what everybody's talking about. So I think my brain goes, okay, I need to simplify this. And that's how I end up there all the time. Like, let's just align. So if I'm saying it, it's just like I use the word fascinating and people who know me try to figure out, does she mean fascinating or does she think this is stupid? I don't, you know, I I have gotten there in my lifetime, right? So it's the same thing. So I try to align to, if I'm saying e-learning, this is sort of what we're saying. I get that it might be easy in an operational setting where we think it's easy because, oh, then I don't have to pull people someplace, whatever. You still gotta, you still gotta give people time to learn. Yeah. Don't care what modality, right? They still got to have the time. So let's figure out the right thing so that they learn it appropriately and then can do the job with confidence. Yeah. That's the answer. It's awesome. Yeah. When we met previously, you talked, uh, it, there was a, something I took in my notes. It said <laughs> IT Uh-oh. presses the. <laughs> I didn't record it. This is my notes. So maybe I didn't get it perfectly. But you, you said something to the effect of, when we're t- we were talking about technology rollouts inside organizations like yours, and you said IT presses the button, but the users have no idea. And I, I absolutely love that because, you know, that's right in our world where we spend a lot of our time outside of this podcast. And I do think that one of our other guests, and I may have said this to you before, one of our other guests on the show said it's the difference between installation, which is the way IT thinks about it, yep. and implementation, which is the way that the organization needs to absorb it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this terminology, it's semantics, but I, I do think that there is a difference between, you know, getting the ones and zeros traversing the network correctly 
versus really having the humans that have to interact with that technology really be in a position to embrace it. So can we expand on that a little bit more? I mean, one of the other things that you said in that was that no one figures in the change curve into that process. I'd just like to explore that and get your perspective on that a little bit. So, you know, I say it a lot. I've been in a few different organizations where, you know, a large sort of implementation maybe didn't go as well as I would have thought. But what I always come back to is what I said. So there is a push the button, you know, it's X, Y, Z date, and that button's going to get pushed. And the thing that I think gets lost in a lot of these projects, and, you know, there's, there is some change or change management figured and people think, oh, I sent a communication out. That must mean, you know, we're, we're working on change management, but that curve gets lost because even those people within the IT space that are getting, they're, they're running to the button push date. They've had how long to think about this product, whatever their perspective is, it may be completely not from the user perspective, but they still have had some time and others are still waiting to find out or have no idea. And then it's, gee, I wonder why nobody's adopting this. So it's this weird gap, you know, that occurs. And I just, I say it a lot because I feel like there is a different scope to running to the, the button push versus how do we want people to actually use it? So the button is pushed. So now what? And I have been known to be the person in a discussion. If the date is, you know, what's today? December 15th is the button push. I'm the one that usually will say, so what happens on December 16th? And people look at me like I'm weird. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that's a weird question. You know, like we have to figure that out, whether it means we're preparing for the risk or we just didn't connect the this side and this side. It's one or the other, but um, I've spent a lot of time in these types of discussions saying that out loud because I think we we miss it. There's a technology side, there's a get the people ready side, but what about that time? And then the other thing that's interesting is different organizations I've been in, sometimes when these things roll out, there is a um, expectation of efficiency. How does that come along with a change curve? I cannot reconcile. And I am a bad math person. I will say it out loud. It does not reconcile. You got to have, right? You got to have some validation. You got to figure that out. So it's always interesting. And I've seen it, you know, in many organizations. So not one or the other. It's, It's a weirdness. I think, you know, in my time now, I think just I continue to ask the questions to try to think about the next day or two weeks later or whatever the answer is to at least get us thinking that way. What kind of responses do you get when you ask about, I refer to what you described as day two, you know, yeah. when, when you're asking about day two and beyond, what kind of responses do you, do you get from the other stakeholders? I mean, I've gotten all kinds. I remember years ago asking it for a huge implementation in an organization and people just looked at me like I was the biggest weirdo. And so I sat there and everyone's kind of looking around and I said, I'm, I'm just asking because I think we need some kind of risk prepared. Like I'm, I'm not sure, but I figured I'd say it out loud. I've never, I've always been the, I'll just say it out loud person. Yeah. Probably the New York Italian, but I, I feel like someone should say it because someone else is probably thinking it. And, and for me to understand, I've got to ask questions. I just have to continue to do that um, because I feel like that's going to generate the thought and the innovation from other people. Uh, because I'm not creative. So, but I can ask, I can talk. 
So that's my benefit, I think. And I mean, I've gotten other people are like, oh, that's that's true. Let's let's talk about that. So I think I've seen a range of responses, but I do think if someone takes away something out of this discussion, it's just think about after that button. I mean, it's just so critical, especially if also your expectation is adoption and use and efficiency, whatever those are, you gotta, you gotta think, at least say it out loud. I think there's a there's a bigger picture story about efficiency in large organizations too that I think is often missed in these conversations that you're describing. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is sometimes the actual users of the technology are not the ones that are necessarily going to be more efficient. Right. There could be some actual negative uh, impact to the users in the short term. So yeah. examples of this might be, you know, in a contact center environment, we may be asking to spend a little bit more time with the customer on, you know, in a conversation, gathering mm -hmm. some additional information. And so our average call time may actually go up by 10 seconds, right? which is typically a metric that a contact center would be driving, trying to drive down. Yeah. But if we're gathering information that allows others in the organization to now be more effective, or we get fewer callbacks because of a, an invoice or, you know, whatever that downstream implication is net net, it's a positive, but that this change in the short term has a negative impact. And I think sometimes it's just about how we communicate to the people that are going to be affected by this, because it comes out where there's a blanket statement that says, Hey, this is going to make our company more efficient. But the humans say, no, this is going to take me 10 seconds more per call. What are you talking about being more efficient? Oh. Right. And I, <laughs> I feel like we uh, maybe sometimes we don't broaden the communication enough to let everybody understand kind of the bigger business impact. And maybe I'm maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm giving too much credit to all of the the people that maybe they wouldn't really necessarily because they're driven so much to those metrics in that context center hypothetical that I'm throwing out. Maybe those folks wouldn't care because they're being judged by that 10 second you know time, uh, call time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are as a learning professional by heart, I would tell you that anybody typically wants to know why. Um, most people are not robotic, right? So whether, whether you know, of course, if I'm driven by this metric and this metric and this metric, I still gotta get to that. And so I wanna understand why, why is the cheese being moved? Like I need to know that, you know, and then I can, figure out my game plan and then move forward. You know, you got to give people a chance to process that and move forward um, no matter what the issue is. So I, I think just thinking from a learner perspective, which is typically where my brain goes, I think that it's important for people to know the why, no matter what the communication, what the, is it an implementation? Is it a whatever, you know, I have to learn, you know, they change the coffee, I, it's something. Right. Right. It's all the same. It's help me understand why. Okay. We're coming up on time already. I want to, there's a, something you mentioned before about the evolution about how people learn and helping them be comfortable that they can find what they need. And I think that's a, a really meaningful thing for us to discuss as we kind of wrap this up today. And I'm curious if you can give us some advice on how to make that content available? Have you discovered any best practices about ways to 
build that confidence that, hey, you don't have to memorize because this was in contrast to, you know, it used to be memorizing the job. So we're saying to this learner, you don't need to memorize everything. Mm -hmm. You need to have a minimum viable proficiency to get out on the floor and take calls or to go out in the field and do yeah. your job. But here's how you get more information. So what best practices can you share with us about how to make that information available and then how to communicate its availability and build those users um, confidence that they'll have what they need when they need it? I think there's a couple things. I think technology clearly is, you know, top of mind, I would say, no matter what your organization is doing, I think anytime you can look at something that can assist, you know, pop up or, you know, a way to get to information, whether it's a separate system as a knowledge management type of thing or something in-house, whatever it is, everyone that is helping to support whoever is doing that job needs to understand that when someone is doing that job and the calls are, you know, I'm on the phone with someone, I don't have time to, and this will date me, find the encyclopedia, right? So how do I, if I'm going to be confident, I may not know the answer and I may have to go find it, but for me to feel confident, I have to know I've got something. You know, if I just have a blank screen, good luck. You know, and so that is not setting someone up for success. So I think it's a combination of whether you build tools internally or find technologies out there, having the things at the fingertips, you know, used to be you teach people and then they'd write a bunch of stuff and they'd have sticky notes everywhere, you know, well, that may or may not work depending on my way of thinking, right? But you can create something so that I can clearly pull up what I need and I can at least get to the basics. And then if I have to call back, fine. If I have to go research, fine. And that's the other thing. So the other fun is make sure there are resources around, which are typically people, whether it's virtually or at the next seat over somewhere I can go, because there's going to be a point where I'm going to feel like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know the answer. Um, when I started in a center, a hundred years ago, like I had to sell database. Like I didn't know what I was talking about. And I had to make a call and ask someone if they wanted to upgrade. And I remember when it got time to call and I had all this training and I'm like, and clearly I know how to talk. I'm like, I'm not calling anyone. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And so getting through that and finding what I needed, I was able to make like the first sale, which was such a big deal, right? And only because I had stuff right there and I knew if somebody asked me something, I'd be able to find, it. you know? And so it's just that move ahead a few years, right? Maybe it's on the screen versus in a book, but you have to have stuff around whatever that stuff is so that I can answer the basic things and feel comfortable um, that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. So that, that learning experience for that team member is as much about developing the actual skills as it is about knowing, becoming resourceful and, and allowing them, you know, the, the permission, giving them permission yeah. to not be expected to have everything memorized, but to be resourceful and to be pointed in the direction of the best information that, that you can make available to them. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is, I was going to say it's a trend. I don't know if the trend is the right word, but I, yeah. I do think um, it's a little bit of a change in tune that I've heard over the last several months. Mm -hmm. And 
which is not trying to cram everything down their throat at in the first, you know, one week onboarding. But um, I think to fill in that gap, if we're going to embrace that approach and philosophy, then we do have to start to build out the Google and YouTube of our enterprise, right? right? We, we can't just say, hey, we're, we've made all this information available. Good luck finding it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Agreed. You know, so that that's got to be part of the challenge too. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it's up to technology companies like, you know, my day job to, to help solve some of that, not all of it, but some of it. Right. And, um, you know, that's, it's an interesting dilemma for us, but I do think it's, it's great to hear you talk about those examples. Cause I think just, you started the conversation talking about team member confidence, and I'd like to just kind of wrap up on that topic. I think it's, um, really important. I think just even your description, right. You're obviously a very well-spoken, confident person, but in that story that you just told about your early career, it wasn't that you didn't have the knowledge that you needed. You needed right. to still build your confidence in order to be successful. And I think a lot of our team members uh, face that same dilemma every day. Yeah, I think that that is the critical point. If anyone, you know, in their responsibilities in an organization can think about that feeling, and that must be what it is, because I always have that, like, how can I get someone past that feeling? Because you know, I used to talk at some of the groups when we would have, you know, a graduation or something years ago and in some of the centers and I would go in and I'd say, just so you know, everything you just learned, you're going to forget it all on the first call, you know, because you are, because you're going to you panic. Know? So how can I help you understand that we're behind you and we believe in you, your resources are right there. So even though you panic, it's right there. And a lot of times people be like, oh, thank God you said that because I'm freaking out. You know, it's that feeling. How do we help people to get past that feeling? Because they want to do the right thing. They want to do whatever the role is. They want to help whoever's there. Um, that's why they're in that role. You know, that is the service mentality. So if we want them to do it and let them be, you know, the best they can be at it, provide the resource and think about that feeling because it's not a good feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah that's great. Maria, we yeah. got to wrap it up there. Thank okay. you so much for taking the time and sharing your wisdom with us Absolutely. today. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. For our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If you have, please share and rate the podcast. As you hear me say every time, five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story or their story and uh, make an introduction. We'd love to have them on the next episode. Maria, thanks again for your time today. Thank you.